Hey, Renter Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined as usual by the founder and CEO of Rent Retirement, Zach Leemaster. And today we are joined by a real estate investor, someone who's been in the game a while, knows how it works, is not afraid of the current environment, and that is Kim. Kim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. Good to see you both. Yeah, good to see you. Tell us a little bit, you know, what was your first real estate deal and I know we were joking a little bit before we started recording that, you know, once you're a real estate investor, you're always a real estate investor, but what was it that got you into it? And what was that first deal you did? Well, the first deal I don't really want to talk about. Um, it was when we were first married. Well, I'll get to that, but first I want to get to the why. And uh, about 10 years ago, I was on the plane and I was flying home from visiting my grandkids, who are the loves of my life. I have 20 grandchildren now. And all of our kids have moved out of California. So, you know, that it's a lot of flights. And I, I saw a friend of mine, and she was on the plane, and, and she had just been visiting her grandchildren as well. And I said, oh, isn't it fun to be able to do that? And she said, well, you know, and, and prior to that, her, her husband had passed away about six months prior. And she said, one of the best gifts that Gordon ever left me was five rental homes. And she said, that provides all of my play money so I can go and visit as often as I want to. And I was sitting there on the plane thinking, ding, ding, I, I need to do that too. That would be great to have that, you know, retirement money, just play money. And so I got home and I ha I read this book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, and uh, I just love him. And in it, you, every morning you do this savers, it's an acronym, you know, silence or prayer, you know, affirmations, visualization, exercise, et cetera. And so as I was sitting there, I thought, I really want to have homes, but because we'd had such a bad experience when we were first married, I know my husband will never go for this. <laughs> and so I I wrote down on my vision board, I have six homes because she had five. So I thought I'd probably need six by the time, you know, whenever. Yeah, and, 20, 20, you're going to need a six. Yeah, I need six. I had more grandkids. So I put that down and I, I literally laughed out loud. I thought he is never going to go for this. This is hilarious. I'm even writing this down. But uh, then one day I, I was at the gym and I have some really good friends, uh, Rusty and Deb, and we were all running on the treadmill and Rusty was telling me about several investments that he had done that was providing incredible cash flow and that he'd have for a long time, forever. So I somehow dragged my husband to this event. And at that time, they had someone from Texas who was selling properties, not selling, but just they were turnkey providers. And my husband said, wait, these are 120000 and all we have to put down is 20000 And it's all this cash flow that really just makes total sense. So he said, I think we should buy six. <laughs> and I started kidding. So it was really awesome. But he said, here's the, here's the deal, though. You'll need to take this out of the HELOC. This is going to be your deal. And you manage it and do everything because I don't have time for this. And um, let's just see how you do. You can pay back the HELOC through the rents. And so I, I figured it out and I thought I can do that. And I, I wouldn't always recommend people do that. But at the time, because it didn't seem like that much money, 120000 to get six properties, um, it seemed like a great deal. So So we did it. 
And I know there'll be people listening saying, oh, you did it at perfect time and now's a bad time. But that's not true. It always, even at the time, there were homes that were going for 85000 and we were spending one twenty. So if you take that into context, you know, there's always going to be either, it's just how you look at it. It's always a good time to buy, I think. And there's always people that will work with you. So anyway, that's what happened. And um, that's kind of how I got started. And I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the um, the lenders and the turnkey people. And and just, I, I really enjoyed the process of being a landlord. And that had not always been the case because I was going to get back to this story. <laughs> when we were first married, we bought our first home. We could barely afford it. We were still paying back a lot of student debt. We had bad credit. And uh, we decided to buy a rental home, and it was in Oildale. If you even know where that is, it's near Bakersfield. Oh, wow. And it was a yeah. tiny little home, and we were self-managing. And our real estate agent said, now you want to be in the red because that's just how you invest. You always have to put money into it. And I thought, wow, that doesn't seem to make sense. So we were in debt all the time, trying to pay this thing down. The renters were bad. Every weekend he was fixing a garbage disposal or something. So we absolutely hated real estate until we sold that property. So you kind of have to know, not kind of, you do have to know what you're doing as you start to invest. It has to make sense. Wow, Kim. I want, there's, so, there's so much uh, to unpack there uh, that I want to I dive deeper. But just I want to just make sure the audience caught a few key points in your story. And thank you for sharing all of that. So essentially, you are someone who invested in real estate early on in life and did not have a good experience. And a lot of people find themselves in this scenario where especially self-managing, and, and I can attest to that. And, like, and I was a bad property manager just from just from being too lenient with tenants too, and like not being the, the best, most professional property manager and not having great tenant screening criteria and things like this. And no help, you know, you had no team. So yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so basically you're someone who invested in real estate, uh, did not have a good experience, wrote off real estate for a long time, took a long break. Thought a long that. time. So I mean, and how many, how many years between investing in that first deal to, to then going the turnkey route? Well, think about this. I was 23 and we didn't do it until start again until I was 56. So just a couple of years you took off. And um, I think the first point to know in that, because a lot of people find themselves in that scenario of like, they think that's, that's real estate, right? That's real estate to them because they invest in a property and they have a bad tenant or a bad deal. And like, and then they, they let that kind of ruin it for them or it's a sour taste in their mouth. They're like, ah, oh, real estate's not for me, but there's, they just don't know other ways. So that's the first thing to point uh, point out. But then you got back in the game. And I, I don't want people to miss this either because this is, I think, one of the most underutilized resources is using HELOC. So I do want to dive a little bit deeper into that. And so you got your husband on board. You're like, all right, even though this you're thinking that he may not be. You, you, you essentially, you met someone who had invested in real estate and it was providing a lifestyle for them in a retirement type of setting. You're like, hey, the light bulb went off this can be done. Maybe we should revisit this. You're seeing someone else do it. And so you made the decision to get back into it. You found um, a team and a, a source that you felt comfortable working with. And then you used a HELOC. Essentially, from what I understand, is you took out a HELOC to buy the investment properties and pay the HELOC back. Is that correct? That's right. And we were able to do it pretty quickly too. Um, I 
I think it's important, the kinds of friends that you have. And it wasn't just one friend. I did have several that had done very well in real estate. So it was inspiring to see that it could be done. And I kept thinking, if everybody else can do it, I can certainly do it. I mean, why can't I do it? You know, <laughs> am I just, I'm, you know, so I, I knew, I knew it could be done. I love that. Yeah. And I've, I've had the pl uh, privilege of getting to know you over the past few years. And, and I definitely want to dive into like now, now you're doing really cool things that we want to talk about with like accelerated depreciation. You're being a creative investor from a tax side to offset your husband's professional income. Like there's a lot of cool things we'll get to, but I really before we go to, too deep down that path, just, um, you know, what advice would you have for someone that um, ha is in that same setting, right? Like they've, they've either they've never invested in real estate, they've thought about it a lot of times, or they've, they've previously had a bad experience, they've taken some time off, and they're, they're wanting to get back into it. And maybe they're investing later in life where it's like, ah, oh, did I miss the boat? Did I miss the timing? Is it too late? And they want to get started. What advice would you give to them if they're listening right now? I would say it's never too late. And that is true. It's never too late, really, for anything that you want to do in life. And so you just have to put it down on your on your vision board and then start to educate yourself. Education is really important. And that's why a website like yours, Rent to Retirement, is so awesome. As I was scrolling through it today, and I noticed that you've updated it since last time. I think it's pretty new, right? It's so great because it, it, it hits on all the key factors, um, income right? Depreciation. That's really important for your taxes, especially if you're still working. Equity growth, uh, appreciation and leverage. All those things are, are so important. So you can click on all these things and find out a little bit more about it. And the good thing is you have to have people that you trust too, Zach. I think that's so important. There are a lot of sharks out there. And that's why I'm on this podcast today is because the experience that I've had with you is absolute integrity. I could tell that from the beginning. But then as I began to work with you, I thought, I mean, Zach, it was amazing. Your whole team spent so much time with me. And I could tell it wasn't just for profit. It was to help educate and to help me really see what my portfolio could handle, what would be the best for me and Bruce. It was just amazing. Um, I, I, I can't say enough good about it and how important the education part is. Don't just run out and buy the first shiny deal that you think is going to be great. You'll end up probably losing your shirt. You really have to kind of educate, plug into a good team that you trust. I know that you also offer lenders and you have access to CPAs and different people that you trust. And I have a bookkeeper now too, because my portfolio is so large. There's no way I could do all of that. And so these are all key components to having uh, a really good and cash flowing business. I, I love it, but you have to work with people that you trust for sure. Thank you for the kind words, Kim. That that means a lot to me. And I, I'm know, not just is... saying that because I'm on this podcast. I wouldn't be here honestly if I hadn't had such incredible experience. So thank. I appreciate you. that. Yeah. So you started out with the wonderful advice from a realtor to lose money every month because that's how you make money. Um, <laughs> I believed it too. Tell us oh, a little bit about this money. Okay. <laughs> I mean, on that? paper, you want to, you know, on your taxes, you want to lose money, but not in real life. But uh, tell us a little bit. About how have you gone about weaning out the dumb advice um, that that you get nowadays? Because I'm sure there's still people you hear or see, or you know, as you're going around looking for stuff, who are still giving really bad advice. How do how have you learned to kind of siphon through and realize, okay. 
this this advice seems legit. This advice, they they must be insane. Um, kind of how do you, you know, differentiate those? That's such a good question. Oftentimes, I'll run it by my husband, who's super critical about everything in concerning that, and so he'll he'll say this sounds like dumb advice to me, or I'll talk to different friends who do real estate. Um, but some of it is live and learn. Like I had a CPA who who recommended a company called Source Advisors. I don't know if you have to edit that out, but they charged so much money for uh, cost segregation. And so your home is going to be depreciated over 27 years, right? And so if you do a cost segregation, then you can bonus depreciate and you can do it all in one year. And it's great for your taxes if you have a, a, a spouse that's working and making a high income or any income, really, it can come right off of that. And so I wanted to do that, but I had these properties that were just 159000 when I bought them and they were charging $2,500 to do a cost take. And so I really felt like I lost money on that. So there's some things that you get advice because people scare you into something and you really don't need to do. Yeah, I think um, really what I'm hearing from you is that, um, well, one, you're you're still out there investing and doing things and like live and learn. And this is just part of part of life and business and investing in general. If you can't, you know, in any start, business. Yeah, you just do it. And like, you know, you you figure it out as you go and there's going to be some bumps and bruises. That's, that's like the school of hard knocks, right? Of just doing right. And, but you continue and you don't let that stop. But if you can tap into like a network or find a mentor or advisor or something that can help you kind of with the right connections and avoid some of those pitfalls early on, that can certainly be beneficial. I know that when I take advice from someone, it's really important. I I look for people that are uh, more experienced, but also that um, have achieved a level of success that, that I want to emulate, you know, someone who's uh, and this is true of like relationships, of fitness, of finances, of investing, everything of like, let me seek advice from them because they're in a position in a place where I want to be. Um, and I think that that's an, important. Kim, we know, um, man, we could talk to you for, for days on, on, uh, just your, your philosophy and your story. And there's a lot of, a lot of value. I think you'll, you'll resonate really well with a lot of investors listening to, to our content. I know without a doubt. I do want to talk specific about specific things um, because I just I know your investing background and, and where you're going and there's you're doing a lot of cool stuff. So I want to make sure we cover a few things just real quick before we leave the the HELOC topic. Talk to us a little bit about the numbers you had mentioned. You were able to pay your HELOC, HELOC back rather quickly. Um, and can you just break down how HELOC works in like your your scenario? Because you took out a HELOC, which is a home equity line of credit, which is accessing equity, I would imagine in a primary residence. We do, we talk about return on equity, which is such a thing is, Hey, that's another resource that you can use to expand your portfolio. But I'd love to hear from you on why you use the HELOC and, and how you strategically put that into play. Well, we didn't need to use a HELOC, but my husband wanted to say, this is going to be money specifically set aside that you're going to pay back. This is your business. And, and I want it to, if it's going to be yours, then I want you to really feel like it's yours. So we took that HELOC out. Uh, we live in California, so we had a $400,000 HELOC and we only had to take out $120,000 to buy six properties. It made sense because then we were still hitting the 1% rule. We bought the homes for 120,000 and they were renting for 1200. So today those homes are worth 340 and they're 
renting at 1900 So you can see in a short time how things go up. And I would only have to buy even one home today to pay back, I mean, sell one home to pay back uh, the whole entire HELOC practically. But, um, but I did it a lot through rent. And then I think we did sell a property later and, and did that to pay off the rest of the HELOC. I can't remember, but it was paid off really quickly. Um, I want to share a story because I think this will resonate with a lot of people, but we live in California, so our homes are, are higher than some parts of the nation. And uh, I have some very dear friends that realized that their $800,000 home that was paid off would rent for $3,000 a month. And this was right prior to the pandemic. And so they said, we're going to move out of our home where we're going to rent this home for $3,000 a month. And we're so excited we're going to move into a trailer. But this is like permanent income. It's like an extra um, Social Security check, you know. And so I thought, okay, so you're going to live in a trailer and rent your home. And they said, yes. And I said, okay. So I figured out it was $3,000 a month, but the land that they had to put their trailer on was $750 a month. So that's bringing it down to $2,250 per month. And then they had to buy a $100,000 trailer in order to get this income. So right before they did it, I said, listen, I know I want to come over and talk to you guys. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I have an idea for you that might pay off more. And I said, okay, if you take this $800,000 and you sell your house because you're not going to live in it anyway, and you do the trailer thing, you can actually, and at the time there were homes in Florida that were selling for one sixty, one fifty nine, dollars I said, you could actually buy with 800000 and this is not including taxes. They would have had to pay taxes on it, but 500000 is tax-free. So let's just say you could buy 20 homes with it at 25% down. And at the time, they were only doing 20% down. But at 25% down, you could buy 20 homes for $800,000. Now, let's just say, you know, your payment on that is going to be about nine hundred with taxes at the time. It was 3.5% interest. And your rent's going to be about 1500 So that's 600 let's just say, cash flow per property. So 600 times 20 is 12000 a month. Now, let's just take off, you know, um, maintenance, vacancies, property management fees. Let's drop it down to 10 maybe even 9 So even 8 So even if it's 8000 at a low per month, isn't that a lot better than 2250 you know, a month? And they said, oh, I don't know. You know, I said, what's your credit score? They could have qualified. They really could have. They were both working and they both could have qualified for a Freddie Fanny, 10 each. That's the limit, 10 each. And so they could have done 20. The thing is, is they decided not to do that. And during that time, those very homes have all increased in equity $100,000 or more. So let's take 20 times 100,000. That's $2 million in just three or four years that they could have had. And, you know, I never talk to them about it now, of course, because it, they didn't want to. But they know. They're they happy. Know. <laughs> but I just, something like that, those decisions are so pivotal. It's life-changing. She's working retail still. He's working retail. They're trying to, well, not retail. He's a manager with a company. But they're trying to, you know, make it. 
And she just had to have a hip replacement. There's different things because your job is hard. It's heavy lifting. It's things like that. And I don't know. It's just an example where I think this decision they could have done, it wouldn't have been that hard to do. And it was life changing, but they're still happy and awesome people. So I love that you shared that. And um, I, I personally enjoy going through stories with numbers um, because then you can like quantify this. And, and as you're like talking about the cash flow, I'm like, yes, this makes sense. This makes sense. But I'm also thinking, yeah, before you talk about the equity part, I'm like, yeah, but that's 20 houses you're going to own over a period of time. Like, think about the tax benefits that, that $8,000. I didn't even touch the tax benefits. That $8,000 yeah. is, you know, tax free income, which would have been the equivalent of, you know, 12, 13, 15 you know, pot in California, maybe, you know, $16,000 of, of income, but, but you're owning, you know, you're owning the assets, but that just goes to point, like you can't, I mean, you, you, and you have this Kim, obviously, cause you're, you're thinking outside that you're using your investor mindset and not everyone has that. Right. And if it has to be someone that wants that, that, that gets it. And this is like, our mission is try to educate people on that, but they have to make the decision for themselves to, to ultimately yeah. do that. But I think that 20 homes just sounded just too astronomical, like just too many or too much. But it's really not if you, it's just all in the way you think, right? If you can qualify for 10 homes each, which they could have, and and then you get a property manager that manages everything and you plug into a really good turnkey company that had those available at the time. It just, I don't know. There's still deals out there, but that was exceptional at the time and anyway but that's why the decisions we make are pivotal and it's important to have a why and it's important to believe you can do things that it's not just for certain people real estate i believe anyone can do if they just have a mindset it's not rocket science really love that love that <laughs> i mean if i can do it honestly a grandma of 20 kids and 20 kids anyone can do it <laughs> so yeah it's like you were saying there's always a reason not to do it um, in people's minds, but people tend to only look at the reasons not to, not the you know reasons to. There's always a reason to, like you were saying. There's it's never necessarily a bad thing time to buy. There are definitely bad deals um, that you don't right. want to touch, but you know you can always find something out there. I think I hear a lot of people say it's too risky. Well, everything in life is risky. I could walk out my door and get in my car today and get in a car accident. A drunk could hit me. You know, there's so many things. I fly all the time. My plane could crash. There's no such thing as a perfectly secure life. And so you have to know what you want to do. And then did I just cut out? Because I, oh, there I am. Okay. You have to just know what you want to do and then, and then go for it and really believe that you can get the education and and be excited. Some people really genuinely may not like real estate. I have a feeling that people that are listening to your podcast probably do. And so, you know, they're the type that could do this, but some people might not like it. And if they don't, then it's not for them. They can choose something else. Maybe they really do like retail better. Maybe it's fun to be a Walmart grader. I don't know, but I just know that I like the freedom that the um, real estate provides, the tax benefits. I also want to talk about becoming a real estate professional sometime during this podcast. Well, we certainly want to dive into that. And that's that's right up my alley of, of the tax side of things. But just to kind of expand on a couple of things you, you pointed out, because I think this is really important. We, we don't a lot of times get into the mindset of investing. And this is why I love having you on, Kim, and sharing your story 
um, is just walking through your mindset. And I think you hit a lot of really important aspects and chords that, that people can relate to, especially in terms of, and, and I know I, same thing with me, we all go through our evolution of, uh, through investing in, in life and things like this, but a lot of us have come into this with like the limiting, a limiting belief, um, limiting belief about like what we're capable of, what goals we can accomplish. And it's almost like a part of us. And I don't know if this is the, like, you know, the scarcity mindset or imposter syndrome. A lot of times that we get, like all of us have this, our subconscious where it's like, I'm not deserving of this. I don't know how to do this. I can't accomplish this. There's other people out there too that are naysayers and we want to, we need to shut those off. Right. But, um, it's almost like, man, this isn't going to work. Um, a lot of this would be really applicable to even out of state investing. We see a lot of times, a lot of people look at it, real estate investing. They're like, ah, I don't want to go out of state because I have no control. Well, you don't, you don't really have control to that degree. I mean, it is your house, regardless of where it's located. If you're next door, you don't really have control. You know, but you just can't let those, I guess my point is, is that you've been a perfect example of not like changing your mindset, not let it, not having that limiting belief factor, because all of us have that to some degree, but it's like, once you get past that and you're able to see some traction and take action and accomplish your goals, that just opens up the world of possibility. And, and mentally and emotionally to what you can actually accomplish. And to your risks point, I mean, we talk a lot about um, the risk of inaction. Everything has a risk evaluation. Regard, I mean, there is the risk of doing nothing, right? Just like the example that you use. Risk, the risk of inaction. That is the, that is the biggest risk, just like um, the people that you've tried to help. And I'm sure that there's been many people that have taken your advice and you've changed their lives because of that. Um, but like in that specific situation, you know, there is a higher risk, you know, with as, as your friends are getting older and having these health issues and like, they don't have the financial wherewithal potentially to, to deal with some of that stuff. Right. And they have to keep working, whereas maybe they didn't otherwise. So there's risk in that, but you've got to get over to that mindset. You got to take action. You got to live and learn. And like real estate th guys, this takes work. Even, even in the turnkey route, like you're still housing people, you're dealing with people. Um, you know, this takes time to be financially literate. And everyone listening to this podcast and came yourself, like it takes, it takes work, right? Even if you're a passive investor, you still need to be an educated investor. Um, but if you can stay the course, like the dividends will, will pay out long-term. Would you agree with that or? Oh, absolutely. And one of the best things that I discovered through education was becoming a real estate professional. And it works out perfectly if you have a spouse that's working full time. And you have to work 17 hours a week. So if you had a full-time job, then then the IRS would obviously see that you can't do 40 hours plus 17. Um, but, well, I guess maybe some people could if they never slept. But um, but I've really enjoyed that because when wherever we go now as a real estate professional, uh, we can write off the, the trip, the gas, the meals, the hotel, because we're always actively looking at real estate for a potential buy. And because we've purchased out of state, I have properties in four different states right now. It's obvious that we're looking out of state to buy. And and it's true when we do go on vacation, I always look at different um, real estate uh, aspects or things that we could buy or Airbnb or different, you know, things like that. So so we really are always actively looking and it's fun. It's not something that, that seems like work, it's fun. And real estate... A professional also counts as, you know, something like this or, or uh, um, listening to podcasts. Educating is a huge part of becoming a real estate professional. 
you're supposed to mark it down all the time, every hour that you're spending on real estate. And maybe some people love that and there's apps to do that. But I think that uh, with all the work that I do, it's pretty apparent that I fulfill those hours. Let's let's digest that a little bit. I mean, same thing. This is the exact same thing with us. Our goal um, just personally is to buy enough real estate every single year to offset our taxable income from from all sources of income. Um, and But I think for in your situation, so your husband, he, he's still actively working, I believe, full-time, um, but, you know, he's a health... Three days a week as a dentist. Uh-huh. So he's a healthcare professional. He's not in real estate. You're taking this over, but you're able to position... I mean, talk, like, let's dive deeper into this because you're able to offset by doing accelerated depreciation. And we, we've covered this, so people should yeah. should have a general idea, but they're able to offset, like, even some of his income, right? Is that oh, accurate? Exactly. or? And I, I don't like really paying taxes or too many taxes as most people don't and they're really outrageous right now so that is one of the reasons that I like to purchase homes because um, it it really helps tax-wise uh, we're always getting a refund now on our taxes and that means a lot to me when we get that refund check it's really exciting because for so long we didn't for so long I had we had to pay out every year and it was just a killer especially with kids and Sometimes I would just lay in bed and I would think, oh my gosh, these taxes and just the, just everything just seemed a lot when you ha when you're raising a family, you know. And so I thought, it's it's wonderful to be able to get that refund now, and it's all legitimate. It's all legitimate. It's all legal, and it's it just feels good. So tell us a little bit. We talked about you know people kind of having to overcome hurdles, mental and otherwise. How did you work yourself up to the point of becoming a real estate professional? Because that's something a lot of people hear and they're like, that's, I mean, it legitimately is a lot of work to become a real estate professional. So talk a little bit about your progression into becoming that real estate professional. Well, we owned six properties right away and then we started buying more and it just, um, there's just things you have to do, even though it's passive, even though you have managers if you have different states, like just this morning, I got a call and they said there's um, one tenant was complaining of mold in the vent. And so I need, they're going to find the person, the team that will get the mold out. But, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not getting ripped off too. And so I had to do a little bit of work there to make sure that I was at the fair price that they were charging. Just little things. I don't know. You know, from owning properties too, that it's just there's just different things. I think it's really important where you invest. And I just would never again invest in a blue state. <laughs> we had homes in Chicago and I'm so glad that they're sold. Uh, it, we did make money on all of them, but there was just, it's uh, not landlord friendly there. So one time I had my property management company call me there in Chicago and she said, hey, your home is vacant because we're in between tenants, but there's squatters there and they have rights because it's cold. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's cold? <laughs> and they said, we can't get them out because legally they have the right to be in your home when it's cold outside. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so we planned this big thing and they had to wait until they left and then they hurried and dumped all their stuff out and locked all the doors and changed the keys and it was funny. I just, sometimes I have to just look at things as funny. So it's funny afterwards. Yeah. 
Probably not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. But, you know, being a, uh, a real estate professional, it does mainly provide a lot of tax advantages. It's not hard at all. It's it's harder to get your real estate license to be a realtor. Being a real estate professional is just kind of a title. And, um, and it's a great perk if you have a spouse that's also working another job full-time because you can't be full-time, a full-time job and a real estate professional. I do want to make that clear. There are, you can look it up. There's some uh, rules about being a real estate professional that you'd want to know before claiming yourself as one. Yeah. I think 50% of your time needs to be dedicated and, and the majority of your income or something. And like, if you, if you did have another job, we have a lot of people that work part-time in different areas, but they're the majority of their time is on, on real estate. And of course we have resources. If you have questions on, if you want to talk with a, a CPA on exactly what that looks like and how, how to qualify. I mean, the best step in starting to qualify for some of the stuff is like owning real estate. I mean, that's kind of owning real estate. It's kind of essential, also, but getting a, a CPA that also owns real estate. I think it's important to have a real uh, a CPA that really understands real estate. If they don't, then you don't want them as a, as a CPA for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, yeah, they got it. Hopefully, they they understand all the benefits and they're giving you adequate advice on. Right. On I had a CPA that owned no real estate and was trying to talk me out of owning it and said you should sell all your properties and blah blah blah. And, and then I realized, you know, he was probably making about forty thousand a year and he was a miserable, you know, in a miserable position, and really hated any kind of risk, and. um and so it was a mindset that he was in that I didn't want to be in. And so I, I changed my CPA and now I have a fabulous one. And, um, and it makes a huge difference. And that goes back to um, Adam's initial question of like filtering out advice and just being, being cautious of who you take advice from, um, you know, but that's, that's excellent. Uh, Kim, let's talk a little bit. Well, let me ask you this too, because we've covered a lot of kind of high level stuff in right now in terms of okay, um, you know, we've used a couple examples, which I really like about build, like generally building wealth in real estate. And I, I kind of go to this, uh, I, not to overly simplify it, but I kind of think that the path to success or to financial independence, I, I feel that real estate is the most predictable path to wealth over time. If you just follow I do too. a consistent process and it's not overnight. Uh, and then of course there's risk involved like anything. Um, and there's, there's obstacles, but we know that there's more millionaires made in real estate than any other avenue. Um, and, be, and it's like this, the, the common, common person's way to wealth, right? If you just kind of follow it, but it generally, um, the way that I view it, and I want to hear your opinion on this, but is investing in good locations with good teams, letting real estate do what it does, which is, you know, provide cash flow, appreciate over time using leverage, uh, appropriately. Uh, and then tapping into your equity, like you did with the HELOC, and then reinvesting that because you, as your pro there's return on equity, and as your property builds equity, you need to reinvest that, and that also is another resource for you expand your portfolio. It's a numbers game, and then the last aspect of all of this is maximizing tax benefits. And so I feel like as I hear your story, you're doing each one of these things, and that's kind of like tying in together. Like that's that's a recipe to to wealth uh, long term. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is there anything else you want to add to that? Or I, I would say exactly that, that it, it's really just a, a numbers game and it's not rocket science. It's something that I've seen so many people do that didn't even, you know, have a college degree that just had the fortitude and the gumption to do it. 
and educated themselves and just became very wealthy. And it's a slow and steady process. There's some knocks along the way too. What I found is that three twos work the best, three bedroom, two bath. Um, I wanted to have all two car garages, but that didn't work out. And one car is just fine too, some of them. Um, and then a really good property management company in Chicago. I went through five property management companies in a year. And so I think it's really important, especially to tie into something like um, your website and your company, Rent to Retirement, because you've got the whole package kind of ready for people that don't have a lot of extra time. So in the beginning, no one's going to have a ton of time, just, you know, especially if they're employed and they have money to invest, they're going to be working and they don't want to spend a ton of time on real estate. So it's just good right away to plug into a company that is honest and has all of those aspects covered with a long tenure of experience and, and happy, happy um, investors. Uh, I know other people that have invested with your company too, and they just, they just say raving, raving reviews. And so I think that would be it. Just go in it for the long term. I don't think we're ever going to have another time where in two years, everything goes a hundred thousand increase, right? That was very unprecedented. But, um, I think that being in it for the long term, it's not ever too late either. Even if you start at my age of 56, you know, you, you live a long time. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, right? If we want to live to be 90 or 95, it's still not too late to invest in real estate and get that cash flow. And then you can do 1031 exchanges. So fortunately, I just wanted to share this amazing news because another goal that I had was to buy a home in Utah next to most where um, a lot of my children and grandchildren live. My mom lives. I have 10 siblings. <laughs> so they almost all of them live in Utah too. So here I am out in California all alone. So I put again on my vision board, I want to buy a home in Utah. And again, I knew my husband would kind of laugh at that. Um, not that he's, I mean, he's, he's very supportive. I'm not trying to make him sound anything but that, but you know, their homes have gone up a lot in Utah. They're very expensive, just like California now. So, um, so he said, yeah, go ahead and, and buy a home in Utah. You know, you've got your business. Let's do it. So uh, I happened to sell five properties in Florida, and I was going to reinvest in Texas and some of these other places. But at the time, we were a disaster zone which meant that all of our 1031 exchanges and all of our taxes automatically last year, this year, I mean, October 16th was the deadline. So normally with a 1031 exchange, it's like for like. So you take a, an investment property and you have to buy another investment property and you have 45 days to define the address and then 180 days to purchase. So it's very hard to line them up because you know, you've got tenants moving in and out at different times. And how do you go to a buyer and say, hey, listen, can, I'd like to buy your home, but can you wait until I sell six properties? I mean, you just normally can't do that. So I had these all in a 1031 bank. And then I realized that um, I could actually take these properties and buy my dream home in Utah with it instead. Now, it wasn't probably the best financial decision with those properties, but I still had a large portfolio. And that's not the end game for me is how many properties can I die with, right? <laughs> that's not my goal. 
my goal was to have a beautiful home that I could live in, a second home in Utah to be by all my grandkids. And and they're all by BYU. They My grandkids love to come visit. I'm by my mom. There's just so many. I have friends there. It's just a wonderful place to live. So uh, a perfect home in the perfect location right by my sister and a mile from my mom showed up and I was able to take this 1031 exchange money and buy it now because you can't buy a personal home with 1031 money. We're renting it for two years. Uh, then when the renter moves out, we'll fix it up a little bit and, and that'll be tax deferred money as well. And then we can move in or we can continue to rent if I don't think my husband's ready to retire yet. So we might rent it for quite a while, but we still have the basement that, and I, I still stay there and kids come over and it's really fun, but we don't stay very often. But anyway, we have this home. I'm so excited that we were able to buy without paying any capital gains. Do you realize how huge that is? I I was just, I thought I was just, I felt very blessed that we could do that. I, I love that. And Kim, you're just, because you've taken the initiative to educate yourself, um, on like the tax strategies, investing, like you, you figured out how to make this work going through a 1031 exchange, buying the dream house. And yeah, it's not about just constantly building this, this ever growing portfolio. It's accomplishing your goals, whatever your individual goals are. So, um, I'm ecstatic for you. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's, that's awesome. We have yet to hear someone who's taken their investment properties, growing them, 1031 them into their future dream home that they will use in the, as a rental in the meantime, in no capital gains. Um, I just love it. I love the story. Thank you. And even everything that we do to fix up the house right now is, is it's an investment home. So it's, it's a tax write-off. So if I want to add a big deck or, or do something amazing to it, or redo the floors or whatever I want to do, it's, it's tax write-off for two years or yeah, until, we, until we move in as a personal home. Got to make it nice for that tenant, right? Gotta... <laughs> I know. And I actually found the perfect tenant. She's going to BYU and she's getting her MBA and I love her family. It's important to have a good tenant in your in your home that you're going to be moving into a personal use. I don't want to make it sound like everything has been perfect. There have been a lot of ups and downs along the way. I don't want someone to go, oh, she's lucky or, you know, um, she was at the right timing or all this happened because I, we really have had some some ups and downs through um, through real estate. You know, we had a, a, a tenant in Chicago that had three large dogs that we didn't know about and and the, had a flooded basement for a year. This is very untypical. It was the only time it was really bad, but we had to put quite a bit into rehabbing and then selling that home. So there's just been, you know, a few things that have been like that. But for the most part, it's it's really been wonderful. And I I you know, my brother, he he's also an investor, and he said, just think about this, Kim. You are buying a home and providing a home for someone. A lot of people can't afford homes right now with the interest rates, and they're working 24-7 to pay off your mortgage. I mean, when you think about that, think about how hard you would have to work yourself to pay off that mortgage, but someone else is doing it for you and also providing cash flow. When you just think about that thought, it's it's a game changer. You think it's a win-win for everyone. You're providing someone with a home that can't afford one right now and that's trying to save up. That's why the three twos are so great because people aren't trying to rent their dream home. They are renting a small home that they can rent and then 
save up to buy someday. And so you're providing them that home, and then you're also earning cash flow at the same time, and they're paying it off for you. It's pretty an amazing concept. Also to think about, I think the United States is the only place you can have such a low interest rate that a bank is actually willing to do 80% of that, and you only put in 20%. The bank is taking the risk, really, of 80% or 75% if you do a 25% loan. That's amazing that a bank will do that for you. A bank's really going to do that for you so that you can make money. It's it's amazing. When some of these light bulbs go off, because I know this is certainly true for us in our investing journey, it's just like, that makes sense, right? Like real, real estate makes more sense. It's like, we don't do any investing outside of real estate um, because it's just what we know, but it's it's for all these these same reasons of, yeah, I mean, this is what the the wealthy do. do. I mean, the success leaves breadcrumbs, and it's not overly complicated. But you, you know, you leverage money responsibly from other people, i.e., the bank, to buy an asset that's going to provide you income and tax benefits and grow in value over time, and then you let someone else pay that loan back for you, as you mentioned with right. with tenants. And think how many you- hours you'd have to work. If you were working for each of those homes to pay back that mortgage, but someone else is doing it for you. Happily. It's just, just and happily. And most of the time you're going to get really good tenants because they want to keep a good credit score so that they can buy a home. They don't want to trash your property. They want to be a good tenant. And that's the thing we don't talk about a lot too, because on the investor side, obviously we're focused about the investment and like, you know, ROI and things like this. But like real estate is also really cool because you're providing a service to community economically. You're improving, you know, an area, you're you're providing a service. Housing is a human necessity. And that's also why it's a good investment to be in because that's not going to change. That doesn't go away. We have a huge shortage of, of housing in this area. Um, Kim, I want to hit a couple more points. Um, you had mentioned, uh, and, and this is specifically, I think these are a couple challenges or obstacles that we encounter with newer investors or investors that are just getting started. These are kind of like some some of those limiting beliefs or just uh, misconceptions, I would say. And I want to hear your opinion on this. But you'd mentioned a three two um, is is kind of like the ideal investment. I know you told me when we were talking the other day that um, for specifically for like turn costs, it keeps turn costs down because of the size of it. It's just there's a lot of tenant demographics to rent a three two. You have a large pool of, of tenant demographics, but sometimes people fall into the assumption of like, well, they're seeing this out of state property. That's maybe 150, 200,000 or whatever. And they're like, ah, I'd never live in that. I don't want to own that, you know, but it's like, that's the perfect, that's what you want, right? That's a perfect B class rental property that's going to just be a cash flow cow and you're, it's, it's always going to be leased and the turn costs are low on it. But to talk to us more about that mindset in three twos. Yeah. Well, it's just the perfect rental. Um, I do have a home in Ohio that I, I bought because they were going to use it as a model home. And so I knew that the rent would be, it was higher than normal that they were paying me. There was no property management fees. And I knew it would be in exquisite condition in three years when they were going to release it. Um, However, now that it's released, it's a five bedroom, four bath home and it's two stories. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, the, the turnover on that, I mean, to paint that house, if it needed to be painted is a lot more. Um, There's more bathrooms that are, can get, something wrong with them, more leaks, you know, all those things. And so, um, and the rent is really high. 
And so it's just harder to rent. So I think I'm that's the home I'm going to turn around and sell and then reinvest with <laughs> rent to retirement. But I, I figured I, I should sell it right now while it's still in really, really good condition, even though interest rates are higher and so on. But I still think it's a, it, it'll be a wonderful buy for someone. It's in beautiful condition. And what would you say to someone that says, um, uh, that's not a house I would live in. I don't, I don't want oh, to buy gosh. investment. Well, guess what? You would live in it if you were trying to save up for a home. You would, you would take your family and you'd say, look, kids, we're going to rent for a while here so that we can save up and buy a home. Um, most people aren't going to be renting a dream home. That's a really ridiculous waste of money and unless their corporate company is paying for it, you know. Um, so I I just think that three twos, they there's very, very low vacancy. Everyone wants a three two. They're perfect size. And even if you have two kids, they're a great size. So or or more. So I that's all I want to invest in really is three twos. All right. What's um the one more thing I want to ask you, Kim, we could pick your brain all day, but you're um I really love that you have a positive mindset about investing. You're sharing um, you know, all the cool things that you're doing, you're sharing your journey and, and the obstacles with that as, as well. You made the point like, Hey, it, it hasn't all been rainbow and, and sunshine, you know? Um, right. There was one time when I put at the time there was, they were asking for all the money up front and then they were going to build the homes in Florida. So I did put $44,000 down on a home in Palm Bay. It's been two and a half years and the builder still hasn't completed the project. We don't know when it's going to be completed. He's gone past all of the um, deadlines on the contract. And, you know, so sometimes things like that can happen. That's why I wouldn't, I would never do that again. I would make sure that when I was buying um, that I, I didn't, I only had to put earnest money down rather than the entire 25% you know, because then builders could go crazy and like he did. You've learned a lot of lessons and, you know, basically um, what, what I'm seeing after hearing your story is that like you're in it to win it. Real estate is a lifelong journey, um, you know, that you've, you've achieved success, which is, which is great. You started later in life and that's, you know, that's not a problem. It's not too late to start that you've had to deal with some obstacles and like, that's a reality. Like, this happens, guys. This is investing, right? How many how many times have we heard from people that have lost money in stocks or oh. you know or what whatever else crypto? I mean, well, that's not real money, Zach. That's not real money. Well, yeah. and to your point, I think that I think stocks are actually riskier. They do go up quicker, and sometimes they'll go up dramatically, but it also can fall dramatically. And when you've got land and a house, it's a lot. It's very stable. It's a holding place for money. That's the way I always yeah. look at it. You know, like regardless. Of, mm -hmm. Exactly. That's if you look at our logo, that was, you know, the house after the a piggy bank, you know, is kind of the oh, idea. Really? Oh, that's, that's the I idea. Know, but you're saving, yeah, you're, you're saving up capital because it's a it's a holding place for, for capital, regardless of short term fluctuations. Real estate goes up, you know, but I guess, Kim, in closing, I just want to ask. Uh, and first of all, thank you for taking some time to share your story. Um, I love. I love your mindset, right? Because so many people can relate to your story of going through these challenges and these limiting beliefs and this or that. But it's like, hey, if you you are a success story where it's like if you stay the course 
and you understand that it's, there's going to be issues, right? And you don't get hyper-focused on those issues. You can see past them and you just keep going and you keep learning. Like you can accomplish, you can accomplish great things and you can create generational wealth in, you know, a short period of, in a generally short period of time, if you just follow the same path and, and, you know, continue to consistently invest in good areas and just let real estate do what it does. But is there any advice that you would give to someone that, you know, is either looking to get started, especially later in life, or has maybe just like hit obstacles. They're like, man, I don't know if real estate's for me. I mean, any, any last final words of pieces of advice you can share for someone of like a little bit of an encouragement of like, Hey, you'll get there. You just got to stay the course or get started. Obstacles are a part of life and it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, you're always going to have obstacles. So do you want to have rich obstacles or do you want to have poor obstacles? It's just up to you. Um, my grandmother was the sweetest lady in the world and she died in a trailer home after her husband passed. And she, she was always trying to give me gifts. And, um, one time as I was passing through, she gave me this mug and the handle was broken off of it because it's all she had to give. And um, I never forgot her loving example, but I didn't want to be in that poor situation where all I had to give was a mug that was had a broken handle. And um, so I think you can just decide what it is you really want and why. If it's just to have money, you probably, you could succeed, I guess, but you won't be fulfilled. You have to think, why do I want to have this money? Why do I want to do real estate? What do I want to give back? Do I want to visit my grandkids more? Do I want to have an influence in their life for good? Do I want to do good things with this money? And when that's your goal, you have a lot of motivation. You have a lot of help. Take time each morning to really evaluate. What are my goals? What do I really want to do? And then just, just know that there will be obstacles, but it's okay. There's going to be obstacles either way. And then rely on a, on a higher power. And sometimes you, I might have a goal in life, but then I'll have a little nudge that he has another goal for me that is going to bring greater happiness. And so it's important to follow those nudgings and, and be be um, in tune with the higher power too. Thank you, Kim. That's really important and uh, hit hit some heartstrings for us. Um, <laughs> but the the why is is certainly important. And um, you know now it's just really cool to see see the success that you've reached, but also see your your mission and your journey of impacting other people's lives. So thank you for spending some time and sharing that with us. Thank you. I can't wait to talk to you later after the podcast about, you know, what you've got going there. So <laughs> absolutely. Well, Kim, like Zach just said, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know this is going to help a lot of our listeners and listeners if you're out there. And if you have any questions for us that you want us to answer about real estate investing in future episodes, please email them to podcasts at renttoretirement.com. That's podcasts at renttoretirement.com. And Zach and I will answer them in a future episode. Um, if you're looking for, you know, a start to your real estate journey or just where to find inventory, head over to renttoretirement.com. If you want to know more, we do have the Rent Retirement Academy. It can help you figure out your why. It can help you go through your whole journey from start to, well, we talked about it before. It's never finished, but start to the continuation of your journey. 
Um, so you can find that at rentretirement.com. You can schedule a time to talk with us to figure out how we can help you actually achieve the real estate goals that you've set for yourself. So Kim, again, thank you so much for joining us today. And to all our listeners, thanks for spending the time with us today to educate yourselves. We'll talk to you on the next episode. My pleasure. Thanks.